Welcome to Safety FM, where we talk about safety that's truly inspired by you. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast has been brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They are consultants that want to help you get to the safety culture that you're looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. Right now, we should be rolling into the end of the summer. Hopefully, you've been having a great summer vacation if you're able to do some of that vacationing kind of things. Today, we're going to have a conversation with William Fisher, Director of Safety and Compliance for a Transportation Company. William Fisher is going to discuss issues that he sees within the transportation industry. William Fisher has been involved in transportation for the last 15 years and has had several different positions, anywhere from operations all the way to safety director. So please enjoy the interview with William Fisher here on Safety FM. SafetyFM.com with Jay Allen. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. Today we actually have William Fisher on the line. He's calling in and he is someone who I've worked with in the past and he deals a lot with the transportation industry and Mr. Fisher has a very interesting story on how he went from operations to safety. How are you doing today, Mr. Fisher? I'm doing great, Jay. I'm glad to be here. I've always found your journey pretty interesting in regards of how you went from an operational role into a safety role. And it's just one of those things that I think it's an interesting journey how you're able to tie both items together. So if you don't mind, could you tell our listeners how your journey started in regards to being involved with transportation? Well, my journey started originally as a driver. Um, I worked for a distribution center and I delivered appliances all over the state. And from there I went from driving into dispatching, uh, became a dispatch manager for a company, kind of stayed in operations, went from uh, operations manager to a general manager at one point of the same distribution center. Then I got into the busing world, worked for busing, and uh, actually that's where we met up in the busing world and uh, was under your fine tutelage of learning. Safety has always been a big part of my job anyway, but I kind of took more of a a steer of a course when I, like I said, got up under your belt, started learning things like you were sending me places and it was just uh, quite an experience. So as you start your journey off, and I know that you've said a lot right there in that particular answer, but when you start your journey off as a driver, why do you decide to transition into the operational side? What was the portion that you said dispatching is the way to go opposed to being a vehicle operator, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, no, not at all. Um, The opportunity was there. Uh, I applied for the position and basically from there, I never really came back out of the office. kind of went from there. So as you're now all of a sudden going into this operational role doing dispatch, 
and being a driver previously, is it a difficult transition going from driver to operations and really having the understanding from the point of view of a vehicle operator, but now all of a sudden you're doing office work where you're kind of having some control over some of the issues that you might be able to see or some of the routes that need to be rerouted or things along those lines. Right. The transition at first was a little rugged, not being out there, being used to being out there on a day-to-day basis. But as far as the, the routing as- aspect of it all, um, I, I learned quite a bit more in, in the actual office in planning and forecasting and things of that nature. So as you look at it, so you're transitioning from dispatch and now you're kind of moving forward and you're dealing with vehicle operators. Are they looking at you a little bit differently now that you were one of the guys and then all of a sudden now you're one of the office people? Because I know that sometimes, even though we don't talk about it a lot, there's always kind of like that, well, they're an office staff person. We're the ones that are kind of the driving force behind the wheel here. Right, it was done in a totally different light. Um, like I said, that was that was part of the rough beginning of it, as like you said, as being one of the guys and then going to into the management role, uh, having to start to discipline the, the very same guys that I work alongside with every day. But I adjusted to it and um, just moved on. And so when you use the word discipline, how does that transition occur? So you're seeing issues with how they're driving or is there safety related issues or how does that actually come about? Oh yeah, a combination of both the safety safety related issues, um, how they're driving, how long it's taken them to do the route because that was one advantage that I had. I knew most of the routes or all of them, the ones that I ran. And then once I transitioned into the office, I was able to help and make adjustments on that end as well. So then all of a sudden now you're going further down this path here where you're doing operations and you move up all the way to a general manager. So how does that transition go in regards of vehicle operator, you're doing dispatch, now all of a sudden you're going into the general manager role so you're overseeing operations and safety. So how does that start tying in together? How do you start taking a look at that from a general manager's perspective, understanding some of the hazards that you have inside of the workplace from a vehicle operator standpoint to now all of a sudden you're the GM and previously being involved with operations? Yes, uh, on on that end of it, for me, like I said, it was like taking baby steps, I, I guess you could say. Um, coming from the ground up, made it through operations, managing the warehouse, managing the drivers, and then I was able to understand how to oversee the overall aspect of that particular operation. So at what particular point do you start putting an emphasis on safety in regards of your individualized location as a GM? Is there already a focus there or is there kind of a little bit of a more operationally minded at the time? and we'll tie into safety if we have an injury or something along those lines, or how does that end up working out? Well, at that time, um, the focus was really about, honestly, was getting things done. But as I grew in the industry, going to classes and and learning about certain things that, that had to be on that safety line, the safety portion of it became more important to me. Um, 
but when I did transition into another company, uh, in another busing company, I again, you know, was still at the operations level. So as you look at it now and really having the understanding going from the general manager position and then still doing operations at the other company that you go to, all of a sudden, when do you have the decision of, well, maybe operations is not where I want to stay. And all of a sudden now I'm interested in doing safety. How does that transition end up occurring? Well, the particular company that I went to um, had a great stress of safety. Number one, when I first came in the door at that particular place and my interest began to grow in that due to some of the mindset that was set forth, uh, a lot of the a lot of the standards that the company had. And I kind of just became more and more interested into the safety side of things more deeper. So as you go through that transition, you all of a sudden you come with this operational mind and really understanding most operations that you're at in regards of the whole busing aspect of it. So all of a sudden you're put into a safety role, which I'm not going to say it's a total different mindset, but at the same time, there's a different approach. It's not that you don't have to get things done because of course you still need to get things done because you need wheels turning out on the road, but you're emphasizing with vehicle operators and with your operations team that there's certain safety items that we need to actually meet as a requirement. So how do those conversations end up going with the people that you're dealing with previously from an operational standpoint from now, all of a sudden you're looking at more of the emphasis of safety. All right. And that, that, that also was a, another transition that I kind of had to make because it was similar to the coming from a driver, going in operations, now going operations to what was labeled as the dark side <laughs> of, of safety. But um, I, I, I trans, transferred to it okay. So did you have a lot of pushback from the team members that you were involved with at the very beginning from the operational side? I mean, I know that you referenced the dark side, which is kind of funny because I chuckle even still when I hear that. But at the same time, how difficult was the transition when I'm sure a lot of the conversations that you're having is, well, you understand some of the frustrations, you understand what you have to go through and we need X guy or X person um, to be able to be out on the route. So how are you able to have those individualized discussions with the team members at the time? You're exactly right. It was it was a, a, a struggle, but it was my job then. It was my job to ensure that we were operating safely as a company. So what emphasis do you start putting with your team members and your operational staff? And let's even talk about GMs at this particular portion. And even if you're dealing with somebody at higher level at that particular time, that there needs to be a focus on safety from your perspective but also understanding at the same time, the focus of being involved in operations from their standpoint. So how do those conversations start taking place in regards on how you're building the organization? Well, again, the, the great thing was I had someone in place before me that had a, set, a standard that was set. The bar was already set and it was, not so easy, but it was easy to follow the bar that was set. So as you start transitioning through that and then going through this bar system in regards of how the bar was set, are you having a lot of pushback from your general manager or from any of your district staff or anybody who's involved with upper management 
in regards of you need to understand our frustration? Oh, yes. There was some behind the scenes type frustration, but at the same time, it was said, okay, I, I am a safety oriented person, but when there was a need, as you would say, you know, it was, oh, come on, we need this or we need that or you can overlook this. No, can't do that. If you want to operate in a safe world, you have to stick to the system and, and stay on it. So you being involved with the industry for such a long period of time in regards of dealing with vehicle operators, what do you think are some of the misconceptions that vehicle operators have out in, I guess, from the standpoint of you looking at it from an operational standpoint or even a safety standpoint? A lot of vehicle operators, for whatever reason, always seem to think that the management team is, quote unquote, out to get them instead of looking forward to make things better for them in the long run. Now, I know that there's been a lot of transition over the last year in regards of dealing with vehicle operators. Of course, you have the electronic logging device that has now been put into place in most organizations. There's been a lot of focus as of late in regards of how the drug screens are done for randoms, how opioids have now recently been added on to the list. What are some of the the industry's trends that you're actually seeing um, dealing with your vehicle operators and dealing with organizations per se when you're coming in and referencing these scenarios that are taking place and now that all of a sudden there's these two big items that have changed and i can tell you from coming from a pretty large company going to a smaller scale company there are some things on the smaller scale company that are somewhat being overlooked but you have to implement these things to to operate correctly um the opiate thing was a big change and uh, it, the way things are, are set now, it's uh, pretty difficult to uh, buck the system. Now, has there been anything that has surprised you with the change going into the electronic logging devices? I know that previously, I mean, of course, everybody needed to use paper. This is talking, of course, about in the United States. So going from a paper log, which let's just be realistic, not all vehicle operators, but some vehicle operators would attempt to cheat the system. But now with having the electronic log, it's changed on how that industry actually worked. Have you had a lot of issues dealing with electronic logs since they've been put in place? Yes. Um, the first side of the, the issues are, were, you know, the ones that are used to the quote unquote paper. They're not tech savvy. So you have to have training there. And um, even even with the electronic ones, you've seen where the drivers will try to disconnect and reboot. But with these tracking systems, the way they're built today, there's no way around operating correctly with the EODs. I love the EODs, by the way. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, especially the disconnect piece. There was a story that came out in the news. I want to say it was probably about a month and a half ago or so that there was a company that was actually telling their vehicle operators to unplug the electronic logging device. And if you're not familiar with an electronic logging device, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the, to the people listening. This is how the hours of service are tracked for vehicle operators. And there's certain restrictions on guidelines on how many hours they can drive in a day and how many, um, how many hours they can operate and when they need to take a break and so on. 
But on this new story in particular, they were talking about that the vehicle operators were encouraged to unplug the device if they thought they were going to go over on their total hours or if they needed to take a break. And I just thought it was so crazy that you would have a company that would tell people to do that, not realizing that even if you unplug the device, it's still tracking the vehicle. And it's, and it's interesting on how a lot of the vehicle operators at first had the misconception that it stopped tracking them. So when you started dealing with that particular issue, how were you able to alleviate the problem without, without it sounding like a, a corrective measure, but how were you able to say, okay, we know that we have a system failure, meaning that inside of our organization, and this needs to be corrected because you're not going to get rid of a driver because that's not going to correct the problem because it's normally most or let me rephrase that. There's normally multiple vehicle operators that will talk about doing something to that extent. So how do you put the fail safes in place for that issue not to continue going on? It's tough. It's, it, it's a tough thing, but I mean, unfortunately, it has to get to the point to where you make a few examples and, and, and keep plugging from there. When you so when you did that to I know that you say examples and, and that I mean it could go one way or the other depending on exactly how you're referencing it. But was there anything that you were able to put in place that said, "Hey, this will alleviate the problem," or was there anything that you could track on the background where it stated, "Hey, um, you had somebody who actually disconnected the unit and you were able to see it from a remote kind of version," or what exactly did you end up doing? Well, in most cases. Um the same operator would be in that vehicle in most cases, but you know, not all. But the thing of it is, once they log into it, as you know, they, they're assigned to that particular unit. So it wasn't hard to figure out who was unplugging or, or disconnecting it at any given time. You just had to be on top of your log situation and know so you can correct that problem within a certain time frame so a lot of the discussions that i have with people we normally talk about the different styles of safety that's out there um, we talk about two different styles in particular and we call one behavior-based safety and that's more along the lines of you know talking about the 300 incidents 29 and one that's kind of a very popular theme and then the other one is called human organizational performance if you had to take a, a look at both of those aspects of safety which one do you would well let me rephrase that which one would you say that you would lean towards more the 329 and one because that's actual behaviors in a vehicle leading to 29 uh minor events to one fatality that would stick out to me okay so that's the one that sticks out to you now is it, it, have you seen a particular item that caused you to say, hey, that's the correct method for what you believe? Um, yes, through a, through a previous company of training, yes. Okay. And was there anything that caused you to, to believe that based on the training that you had seen? Yes, the, um, the breakdown of, of the 329 and just the real, the real reality of it all. Now, when I have people on, I don't say that one's correct and one's incorrect, but I had a gentleman on um, by the name of Dr. Todd Conklin a few weeks ago, and he referenced that the things that would cause an ankle sprain are not the same things that killed you. And I was like, that's such an interesting concept on how he worded it. 
Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, 329 and one is incorrect. Everybody has to have what works for them. But I just thought it was interesting on how his perspective was in that particular regard. And that human organizational performance that a lot of people reference now or what they call safety differently is such a different view on how safety is perceived um, and how they say in the long run that not all accidents are preventable, which is totally different than most um, behavior based safety information that you receive. But also it references that you need to be working within the environment, knowing that there is going to be a failure. But what can you do to set up that that failure not to be so excessive or it could be a graceful failure? And I thought it was such an interesting concept. And the first time that I had heard it, I was like, I started scratching my head going, it's kind of what I believe. But at the same time, I wasn't aware that somebody else had already had those kind of thoughts at the same time. It's just been very interesting listening to both. And I really think, and this is just my personal opinion, not that you asked for it, but I'm sharing it with you anyways, is that it's kind of a, a mixture of both. And it's what can you tie in to both to make sure that that really ties in? Because I, I sat with somebody recently and they told me that 95% of all accidents are preventable. And as they told me that, it kind of drove me crazy to a little, uh, to some extent, because I looked at it and I went, if 95% of all accidents are preventable, at some point you're telling me that the worker is coming into the facility and they're intentionally being injured. So do you kind of see that all accidents are preventable? It's kind of interesting that you put it that way. Um, it's, I guess it's a foundation that's, that's out there that's pretty much set that, um, Safety is freedom from risk. Okay. And believe me, and when I'm telling you, I, I look at it as that everybody has to have their own opinion and what works best for them and their organization, because that plays a huge factor into it. And believe me, I'm not trying to have anybody on for a debate. I just want people's opinions and what works in the particular environments that they're in. And not I I will tell you what what might work for a transportation company will not be the same thing that will work for a hospital or for a theme park. I'll say theme park because of course being based out of Orlando. But those are the things that I always look at and I always love to hear what are the different aspects that different people use inside of their companies. So as you've been through your safety career, if you don't mind me asking, what do you think has been the biggest change that you've been able to bring within the industry? The biggest change again through through training and and learning and all these classes that I've uh, been able to take is that people look at it in a different light now. Um, at first, it, safety wasn't labeled for everyone. Now, it's pretty much the focus from the top to the bottom, from what I've seen. And when have you seen that that trend started to take place? When, like, can you like pinpoint like a time frame on when it started to do the, what I would say, the shift? Um, for me, probably in the last three to three to five years. And do you see that as a positive thing now that it's kind of more broad spread? Yes, it's it's a positive thing because again, like the safety the safety guy was always the bad guy but now things are transitioning to the fact that everybody is a part of safety 
And that for sure is a big change because you're absolutely right. I, I remember being in organizations where the safety person was considered the bad person and everybody would normally prep or try to stick something out in particular if you had a safety person coming in, especially an unannounced visit. Um, for one bad thing would stick out for they wouldn't focus on other things. So it's funny that you that you mentioned that. So as we're about to wrap up here, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience? Safety is number one. That's a great way to look at it. Definitely is. William Fisher, I do appreciate you being here on Safety FM. And until next time, be safe. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Changing safety culture, one broadcast and one podcast at a time.